Welcome to the James Quandel Show, the space where I have conversations with the world's experts and share how you can live your life to the fullest and build the life of your dreams. Today's episode is an interesting one because my friend and former podcast guest, David Wilson, decided to put me in the hot seat and dig deep into how I set goals and my family dream meeting process. We discuss how after 15 years of working in retail, I ripped the band-aid off and walked into my boss's office and quit my job and moved across the country to start completely over. How this plan wasn't all I thought it was going to be and actually pushed me into a deeper depression and a frantic search to find my purpose and the meaning for my life. During this search, I discovered most self-help books and podcasts don't help at all, and I stumbled across my own foolproof process to identify my true purpose by experimenting, looking into my past, and identifying my strengths. We discussed all of this and so much more during our conversation, so please sit back and enjoy yours truly in the hot seat, and send me a message with your thoughts, at James Quandall on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe or follow and share this episode with a friend. We can talk all about mentorship and we can also talk about sourcing guests. And like you mentioned some of the folks I've had on my show, like um, Rabbi Daniel Lappin and, and Christy Wright and John Deloney. Um, but basically for me, these guests were people I was interested in, people I read their book and I resonated with them. And I was just like, hey, I absolutely loved your book, but I have more questions. And what better thing when you have a podcast than you can ask the questions that they didn't answer that you have inside the pages of the book on a show. And that's why I love podcasting. Uh, and that's one thing that I think most people as students probably took for granted is the ability to ask the teacher a question. Because the way I look at books now is this is just a continuation of my education and the teacher is the text, but I can't have that two-way communication like I used to in school. So it, it's great that you're able to do that through podcasting. Yeah, and you, there's ways you can do it if you don't have a podcast where you write in the margins of the book and you ask questions or you challenge that author on what they're saying and if it, if it resonates with what you believe. And I didn't used to write in books at all. I used to my books on the bookshelf looked like they had never been read, even though I read most of them. And I realized I wasn't actually learning very much from these books until I got a pencil, started folding down pages, started underlining, starting circling, starting crossing things out, starting writing the margins. Like, what are you thinking? This isn't true. And now I actually retain a lot from my books because I'm having a conversation with the author on the pages of the book. When you wrote in a book for the first time, did it feel like a cardinal sin? Because to, to me, it did. <laughs> it still does. And I see folks who have their Bibles and they're written all over and highlighted all over. And I, I can't bring myself to do that to my Bibles. Uh, I, it's just too hard for me. But yes, it at first was like, am I going to get in trouble for doing this? Like, and then I started just buying used books on Amazon. And so most of the books I buy now are secondhand. And a lot of times they have markings in them. And I'm like, this is kind of helpful. Like I've, this person's already highlighted the useful stuff for me and to them. So. That is so true. I'm reading No Man is an Island right now. And it is 
the person that read it before me was obviously very intelligent. And I'm so thankful for all the check marks, the side notes, because it just helps my understanding so much having that secondary guide to the text as I walk through it. It's like there in Harry Potter, um, there was the the book that Harry had in potions one year. And it had all these notes in the margins of other things he should be doing. And all of a sudden, in potions class, where he was always a failure, he started excelling in that class. And later, it was found that it was actually the teacher's book from when he was in school because he found out that something had to be going on here. So, yeah, it definitely helps. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, I could talk about reading all day, but... What I want to selfishly in some ways talk about is goal setting. Now, you you published an article that says learn to set goals like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Zig Ziglar. And I'm wondering what got you on this path of learning how to set goals at the same level of these elite people? I think that for me, it began with being unhappy with where I was in my life and feeling like one, I wasn't achieving what I thought I would have achieved at my age and comparing myself to others, which I probably shouldn't have done and saying, well, you know, these people in their mid twenties already had this. And I realized I was just comfortable and I was doing the same thing each day and I was doing okay, but I wasn't really reaching and growing anymore. And so I knew that I needed to, get outside my comfort zone. And that starts a lot of times with setting goals. Yeah. Do you remember at what point in life that hit? Do you remember how old you were? Or... Yeah. So I it was, it was really the year was 2016. And so I was, oh man, I don't, I can't tell you how old I was at that age. <laughs> I, as sad as that is, I think I was like 27, 28 or 26 or 27. And I was working a retail job at Best Buy and I had worked there almost 10 years and I was a store manager and I had a team of up to a hundred people at times. And I looked in the mirror and my boss was retiring at 65. And I said, do I want to be like that? When I'm 65, still in this job, doing the same thing, dealing with these same problems over and over again. And the answer was no. And so then I I had this moment where I said, okay, if I don't want to be doing this for the next 40 years, why am I going to do this for the next four weeks? And I put a date on my calendar and I was dating my now wife at the time and I said, this is the date that I'm going to quit my job. And I did it. And I had no backup plan. I thankfully had no debt. I had saved some money. And I knew financially I would be sound for about a year to figure things out. And I walked into my boss's office and I quit that job. And he's like, what? (laughs) He didn't understand. Why would I be leaving this job? I was getting paid well. I had great benefits, uh, was moving up the ladder in that corporate world. But I just knew in 40 years, would I be happy if I stayed on that track? And the answer was no. And so I quit. Goodness. What was the reaction of your your boss? 
can you describe like the physical reaction that he had? Or... It was it was definitely shock. I was unbelievably nervous that he was gonna judge me right at at that point in my life and i still still today obviously i'll never get away from it i was just worried about what he would think about me doing that and so i was sick to my stomach that morning and i knew if i didn't kind of like draw a line in the sand i wouldn't have the guts to do it so as soon as he came in for the day i walked up to him i'm like hey john I need to talk to you about something extremely important today. Do not let me leave without talking to you. He's like, okay, no problem. Later in the day, he came and grabbed me. That rest of that morning, I'm like, when is he going to get me? I'm all nervous and shaking. But he was just completely shocked. And I didn't like, I didn't mince words. I sat down in his office and I was like, John, I have to quit this job. And he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm just, you know, I, I just need to do something else. And... He's like, well, you know, I told him I was going to start a business, I think, and and I didn't even know what it was at the time, but he said, I would be honored someday to be able to work for you. I could see that happening someday. And that when I that was when I was like, okay, maybe there's something here. Like maybe this really was a good good decision. But it took a long time after that careless moment of quitting a job with no backup plan to actually get my footing. <laughs> that's so cool i i just have to say that must have taken insane confidence for like at least five seconds to get in the room for that conversation that took that took insane confidence for 10 years to lead to that point to to do that because i didn't go to college i dropped out of college twice i moved up the ladder from hard work doing every single job like i didn't have a degree i had to learn this on the job, how to be a leader and how to um, manage a team. And so that shedding that identity as being this Best Buy manager was like life changing. So you talked about goal setting and what better way for me than having basically a blank slate and being able to say, what do I want my life to look like in 20 years now that I'm unemployed and I can literally have my life be anything I want? what do I want it to look like? And that's how that vision process began. Yeah. And that aligns really, whether you go to college or not, but at least with our education system, there's distinct milestones that society has said, these are where you go in life. Like, okay, you graduated high school. So go to college. Once you go to college, get a job. And that can take out the creative thought process for someone who's 21, 22 to not dream about what their life is really, what they really want their life to be like, because they're so caught up in going through those different stages. Yeah. And like comparing to my high school friends, when I was in my mid 20s, I was already a few years into a career that they would be getting once they got out of college. Like I already had experience. I didn't have debt. I had savings. I had a 401k. I had health benefits. I had all these things years before any of my friends that went away to college did and was able to start growing my uh, investments at a young age and having no debt because of it. So I, I, I think I really came out ahead on that. Now, if I would have stayed in that career the rest of my life, I don't know if I would have been able to capitalize on that advantage, but it worked for me to sort of, I just remember 
I distinctly remember like going to some of the restaurants as a kid with some of my sort of middle school and high school friends and they were in college or just out of it and they were kind of like trying to find themselves and I was like man I'm already deep in this career now like I, I they were like looking at me going I wish I was you where for the longest time I was looking at them going I wish I was going to college and getting an education so it's funny how it worked yeah that uh I love that so much, just that story. So at this point, you've quit the job and you're trying to figure out what you want your greater goals in life to be. What what was next? How did you start researching? What did you find? I'm assuming we're not going to go over the typical communication class, SMART goals, and that's what you use to determine the course of the rest of your life. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. And I do want to um, point out one thing is the reason I was able to walk into my boss's office and quit my job was because I had the financial resources that I knew that I could sustain myself and my cost of living for up to a year. I knew that my retail background at that point, I started in retail when I was 14. So I was what, 26, 27 at this point. So I had a decade and a half of retail experience. I knew I could go back and get another retail job if necessary. And I always knew I could move back in my parents' house if I had to. So I had all these backup plans. It wasn't like it was just complete yep. chaos of quitting the job. So don't quit your job unless you have a plan and that it makes sense and run it by some of your friends who you know are going to say you're crazy and hear what their argument is and run it by somebody who's a dreamer and thinks that you can sometimes take chances and take risks and have what they say kind of come into your mind and then blend the two and make a choice but um, now with it, it's a, the world is a little bit different in 2022 than it was in 2016 because you can start your side gig while still having your main job. You can go on Upwork, you can go on Fiverr, you can go on Craigslist, you can start door dashing or Ubering, you can start getting some additional revenue away from your main career before you just quit. For me, the only way I was going to leave that job with that great pay, that great benefits that was kind of easy for me was to rip the bandaid off. So that's what I did. And uh, um, as far as what that vision process looked, it was awful at first. I was depressed. I was wondering if I made a big mistake. One thing I didn't mention, my girlfriend and I moved across the country too. We said, okay, now that we don't have this career tying us down here. Let's move. So we moved from Michigan to South Carolina to a brand new community where we didn't know anybody right oh after that. So you're taking away the, the normal support system that you may have been used to talking to on a regular basis as well. Exactly. Just basically go somewhere where you don't have a job, you don't know anyone, and completely start over. For me, it worked because there was no external expectations of who I was anymore, or there was no one kind of holding me back, and there was no one encouraging me. It was like going to an island, which the funny thing is we actually do live on an island off the coast of South Carolina. We didn't know that when we moved here, um, but it uh, and then start over with what you want your life to look like. And so it truly, uh, David, when I started... I was reading all these self-help books 
and like how to find your purpose and find your identity and and all these dream books and i was like all right i'm gonna find out what my purpose is and i'm like i just know i want this and this and i kept reading all these books and taking long walks and not having any responsibilities and none of it worked i actually got more depressed more frustrated before my identity was like i knew how to to run a building now what's my identity you know and so it was it was some it was actually a tough tough period there yeah i can imagine i think you said this actually in your interview with zoe on your podcast is that we're built to do meaningful work and i know i've gone through a period of transition in between jobs i also moved to a new state not not as drastic as your situation but there was that time where it's like, what am I supposed to do with my life? Just sitting there uh, on the computer trying to research and not much is coming from it. So, man, it's a defeating feeling for sure. So I learned that the way you find your purpose is not by sitting in solitude and dreaming and reading self-help books. The way you find your purpose is by experimenting and trying things and seeing yeah. what feels good. And you it's not just going to come to you in a, on, a, on a lightning bolt. And I'm a Christian, and I prayed a lot during this time. Like, God, please tell me what I should do. God, please tell me who I am. Like, you created us all in your image, and you made us all unique with our own strengths. What's mine? Silence. There was nothing. And it's because he speaks into a moving vessel, not into a stationary, lethargic, like, like I needed to actually be out there doing something for him to, to, to talk to me. And then once I did that, he started to make things more clear. Yeah, that's a good point, too, especially how that comes to us in today's day and age versus back in biblical times. I think of when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and was like, you're going to be the mother of the savior of the universe. That was a very clear call to action of what she was supposed to do with her life. But you and I, we're not getting an angel popping up and telling us what to do with our lives. So we better get to work. And I believe that that does still happen. But I think in most cases for me, I can speak for myself. I was too caught up in what I wanted and my own life and my own reading and my own phone and my computer and Netflix and all this other stuff. Would I have actually even seen the angel or was I two heads down worrying about myself and, and distracted? Yes. So many distractions in today's world. Uh, if we could get away from those for just a bit and get some clarity to think, then that helps determine our path. But in your, in your reading, in your research, what stuck out about goal setting? How did you come to the conclusions that you did with the, the family board meeting? So I remember reading a book. I'm pretty sure it was Cal Newport's So Good They Can't Ignore You. And he talked about in that book how there's folks out there that have jobs that maybe you and I would think aren't that great of jobs, but they love them. And on their deathbed, people are asked, like, hey, if you could go back and redo your life, would you still be a teacher? Like, would you still be a nurse? Would you still be an executive assistant? And in almost every case, these people said yes. Yeah. The reason 
that Cal Newport said in his book was because they were good at it. The way you find your purpose in life is by looking at the clues of things that you're good at because that's what really gives us joy is actually being good at something and being successful at it. How frustrating is it when you're learning something new and you just can't get it? Like It doesn't feel like it gives you purpose. I do think it's important to struggle and get better at new things. That's part of my values. But it's so much easier if you look at your life, at the things that you spend a lot of time on and the things that you're good at to find what your gifts are. And um, I didn't realize that at the time. I thought that it would be some type of a lightning bolt here's your purpose on a on a ta- on a tablet sort of thing but it really was much more nuanced than that i already knew what my purpose was in life i just had to pay attention to the clues that i've been given my entire life through everything i've gravitated to um so that book really helped me and so what i did after reading that and doing all this soul searching was i just started saying yes to opportunities again for a while, I was kind of being like, no, I'm not going to do this. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not sure if it's what I want to do. I actually started saying yes. And that allowed me to figure out what felt good and what I actually liked doing. And then I said yes to those opportunities more and no to the opposite of those opportunities, basically. Yeah, that is such a good point, even outside of figuring out a job, but figuring out what you enjoy in a relationship and figuring out what things because we all have in our mind some idea of success from our childhood like uh, maybe mom and dad want you to become a doctor because that's that's their idea of success but unless we're in tune enough with ourselves and take time to actually reflect on hey i don't really like doing doctor things uh, Personally, me, I'd pass out at the first sign of blood, but that's that's just me. But I really like working on cars and you have to be honest with yourself and have that time of reflection to say, yeah, I can I can make a career out of this, even if it's not what everyone else thinks I should be. And sometimes it takes going down that wrong path for you a little bit of the ways. But just remember, just because you've been on that path for seven years, eight years, 10 years, or six months, doesn't mean you can't change and go on to a new path. And what's great is there's this, um, I think it's Andrews Erickson, the 10,000 hour rule that he kind of coined, which um, also turned into the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Yep. That's BS. It's not real. Because when you change from one path to another, you're not starting over. You're bringing everything you learned prior to that with you if you find a way to use those things as strengths. So when I left my job at Best Buy and I started doing business consulting and I started my own businesses, I wasn't starting completely over. I had all these years of customer service that I now was an expert in. I had sales experience. I knew how to read P&Ls and how to do financials. I knew how to do one-on-ones. I knew all these things that I learned that immediately transferred over and became strengths in this new endeavor. Now, there was new things I had weaknesses. I had to get mentors and I had to read and I had to learn. But there was other things that I had strengths. So no matter where you are on a path, you can borrow those hours. My friend um, James Alster calls it, uh, I think he calls it skill sharing where or borrowing hours. He calls it borrowing hours. 
you can borrow hours and move them into this new field. And basically he, his new book, Skip the Line, was awesome. You can skip the line in that new endeavor and you can get to the top very, very quickly by, by borrowing those hours. That's a great concept just of transferring skills from one job to the next. I always think of being a, a waitress or a waiter and people might look at that when someone's doing it in college and think, oh, why don't you get an internship? Now, in reality, they may not just be able to make those hours work for them at that point, but the people skills, the customer service skills, especially if you're an engineer, that's a waiter and then going in with all those people skills into engineering. I love engineers, but you know, they have that kind of reputation, but that's just so, so valuable. So I, that's a new way to put it. And I really like that. And those folks that are actually earning a living doing waitressing, or for example, um, that's a skill that you don't ever lose. At any point in their life, they can go back and serve people in restaurants. And it's great to have that in the back of your mind that you have these ways you know will work if you ever need to. It gives you it gives you the comfort to take chances and dream bigger because that was the next step here was how big could I dream? And this is what I did. I, I'm, I'm sort of calling it visioning now versus goal setting because goal setting is very logical. It's on paper. You know, you mentioned smart goals. They're very specific and measurable and actionable. We love those in retail, by the way. Yep. And, <laughs> but they don't really leave a lot for creativity. And so at this point, what I did was a 20-year vision. And I took these seven buckets. We mentioned Zig Ziglar. He had the wheel of life with seven spokes on the wheel of life. And on a piece of paper, I thought, what is my life going to look like? in? What's my dream life in 20 years? In each of these spokes, what would it look like? And no judgment. This wasn't where I was like, hey, can I do this? It was the opposite of a smart goal. These were silly goals. These were goals that if someone saw them, they'd be like, like for example, under the career spoke, I put I wanted to be an author, a podcaster, and a speaker. I, had, I did not have a podcast. I hadn't written anything since high school English, and I had never spoken anywhere except team meetings at my store. But I put it down on paper. I didn't judge it. And I did that for each of the seven spokes on Zig Ziglar's Wheel of Life, and it shocked me. And I got super excited and energized about who I might be in 20 years. Yeah. Could you walk us through the Wheel of Life? Because I'll admit that the, this was the first time I saw that concept and really read into it is in preparing for this, which was absolutely mind-blowing. Because I was thinking the whole time, why in the world did no one tell me this sooner? <laughs> That's Seriously. how I felt. Yeah, I And so the Wheel of Life, to preface it, and I've sort of made it my own based on my own experimentation, but it's so easy to be that successful business person with a fat bank account and a big house and all the toys and then not know who your family is anymore. Like these yeah. cliches of you're this great athlete and you have this phenomenal body but you're 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 in, you go bankrupt multiple times like these clichés we hear about that are so common 
are because people aren't balanced. And by balanced, I don't even necessarily mean you're great at all of these things. It just means that there's no that everything's sort of in a, in a similar spot. And then you can improve in each area slowly over time. But you're shoring up your defects or your weaknesses before you focus on other things. And so the wheel of life is seven spokes. And I'll just read them out and we can go into any of them that you want. But it's basically mind, body, and spirit. It's your family. It's your social and community. And then your career and finances. And those are the seven buckets. And the reason I start with mind, body, spirit is because if you don't have those unlock, it's it's those can really bring you down. And I call those sort of the trinity of the wheel of life. You have to have your spiritual life, your intellectual life, and your physical life on point to be able to do the rest of this. Yeah, that's the same way I look at those things and just taking care of your body at a young age to be able to enjoy what may come of the other spokes. I mean, I want to be a grandpa someday, and that means I want to be a mobile grandpa to go play with grandkids. I want to be involved in the community. I want to enjoy the the fruits of my labor and my finances and uh, be able to continue working, hopefully. So what would you put if you were to put a 20-year a vision goal for your spiritual life? Like, What could your spiritual life look like in 20 years? Yeah, that was a hard one for me to think through because it's so internal. At least it, for me, like right now, we can I can have the goal of being involved, uh, the the goal of giving, which are all very external things. But I think spiritual growth, a lot of it is just developing a better understanding of the word and being able to apply that and share that with others. So for me. I think for spiritual, it would just be not being as not being someone who doesn't weave it in more to mm -hmm. to the way that they speak, because it can be so easy in conversation to to not mention when it could be mentioned and it should be mentioned. Do you have anyone in your life that is maybe older? They don't have to be older, but someone where when you look at them, you would say they excel in that spoke of their spiritual life? I have pastors in my life that I would say fit that. Where I really like looking for someone who I want to be in that space is in the area of entrepreneurs that give back in big ways, especially to the church. So for me, I came from a, a family where my parents were divorced, but my mom, she worked as a, a school teacher for the church. And I had the big decision of deciding whether I wanted to go to college to be a pastor or a teacher or go into the private sector. And long story short, I came to the conclusion that the best way that I could help further the mission was by going into the private sector and positioning myself in a way to give back that could fund more pastors, more teachers, because that's the problem time and time again that I see preventing people who are very willing to go into that place in the ministry, have the gifts to do so, but they get caught up because of the finances. Yes. So that to me, that's your, that what you just described is your 20 year vision for your spiritual spoke. 
and it it and that's where you start. You kind of write that down and you don't this isn't about how to get there or the steps. It's just dreaming. Like think of something nuts. Like maybe you could be funding 20 missionaries yourself or maybe you could be giving away 90% of your income to the church. Like think of something nuts and then put it down and then you start to figure out how to accomplish it. I just read an amazing amazing book. Best book I've read in a while that based on what you just said, you have to read. It's R.G. Tourneau's Mover of Men and Mountains. And nobody I've talked to has heard of this book. And I read about it in the back of Phil Vischer, the the creator of VeggieTales autobiography. He mentioned this book as sort of what helped him come out of a rut after VeggieTales kind of the debacle and, and, and the business closed. And so I got that book. I'm like, if this if this helped him become a spiritual warrior, I'm going to read this. And it actually said in there, R.G. Tornoro knew how to make money. He, he was a great businessman. And he, he kept thinking he had some type of shame and guilt thinking he needed to become a pastor or a missionary because like that's how you serve God, right? And yep. he went to his pastor and said, I'm, I'm having this inner struggle. And the pastor said to him, R.G., God needs businessmen too. And so RG was like, okay, if God needs businessmen, I'm going to be the best businessman for God I could ever be. And he ended up making millions and millions and millions of dollars for the church. He ended up giving away 90%. He said, okay, if a tithe of 10% is good, what about 90%? And he gave away 90% of his income and created an unbelievable mission and in multiple countries, did all this speaking, just unbelievable what he was able to accomplish as a businessman for God. Yeah. I think that describes the the concept that Art Rainier, he, during our interview, we talked about it a bit, but it was the concept of holding the rope for someone else to go and do that type of work. Like if you're willing to go to Zimbabwe or have the skills to go there with the language, as well as just you know, going there and interacting with the people or other places in the world. I want you to do that. And I want you to give the means to do that, but I'll stay here and keep doing my thing. So you're holding Mm -hmm. the rope for them to go and do this work that maybe normally they couldn't do without the funding. So that, yeah, that points out exactly what I should put in that category now. And that was a difficult one because it's like a mix of finance as well as spiritual. Do you look at it that way or no? I don't really look at it that. Well, you mean that what we just that example we specifically did? That is like finance and spiritual in a way. But um, there is a lot of blending between these spokes. And that's okay. You know, they don't have to be assigned specifically to one because a good goal may help you in multiple areas at one time. That's being strategic. And so what we just did with the spiritual bucket, you can do in every one of these seven different categories and just dream big. Like, what's your ideal life? Like, what would make you really excited in 40 years or 20 years that you would accomplished and and do it in each? Like, when I first did this, you asked me before if you can do this when you're not married. And uh, when I started this, I wasn't married. And in the family bucket, I literally wrote, get married as one of my things in the bucket, not 
super romantic that that was one of my goals in this bucket, but it was practical and it was an important part of that family bucket. And so I did it. <laughs> yes, that that's awesome. So I think we should go over just the the whole framework then. What's the process of the family board meeting after we've established these goals in each bucket? I got my big, hairy, audacious goals for every area of my life. What do I do with it now? Where, where am I at? So that's where that family board meeting come. That's when that begins. And I stole that from working in the corporate year for almost 20 years. We had these meetings for everything. And I said, well, why aren't we doing this in our personal lives? And so started putting on the calendar a annual and a quarterly meeting and holding to it. And at that annual meeting, you look at these 20 year goals in your seven spokes and you say, what can I do this year to move me closer to them? So I mentioned wanting to be an author and a speaker and a podcaster. I wasn't doing any of those things. So at the beginning of that year, while I was setting my annual goals, this is where you're getting a little more clear and getting more smart with things. I said, well, I better start writing articles. So that was one of the things I did. And I started writing on my blog every single week and learning how to write. And um, that yearly first sit down is where you put two, maybe put two or three things you can work on in each of the spokes. And originally, to know where I had the biggest opportunities, I kind of just did a gut check in each of these. How do I feel I'm doing in this category? Is it a one? Is it a 10? Is it a four? And I wrote that down. And that gave me an idea of maybe where I needed to shore up some weaknesses before I could really get spinning. Okay. So for the first annual meeting, I would pull out a couple of the big goals from the spokes. So say this year, I want to work on my spiritual or on my finance or on my career. And then I would set specific goals for the year in those categories. That's is that the correct path? I set goals in every category. Okay. Um, even if it's something small, in because so, I want a little bit of progress in every area as the year's going on. But to know where I really need to get tight, I do a self-evaluation. Very quick, something informal. It's basically just write all these seven spokes down and then put a number, one through ten, next to each. If you've got a low number there, that's an area you want to shore up to really start to feel good and get successful because it's probably holding you back than than the other ones. And the analogy that Zig Ziglar uses when he talks about his wheel of life is if you've got a, a wheel that has like this jut in it because you have such a weakness there, that's yep. not really going to roll that well. <laughs> Yeah, it won't ride like a Cadillac, that's for sure. <laughs> and so it's really hard for you to have, you know, be successful in your social or your family spoke if you don't have any income because you're unemployed. Like you have to go get some income of some kind and like you got to go attack your weaknesses. Everyone says, forget about your weaknesses and focus on your strengths. Well, that's great. But if like your weakness is you're literally drowning, it doesn't like you got to solve that first before you can move on. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. And you do this exercise 
with your with your wife do you ask each other for feedback individually I, I i guess i'm thinking from the point of a single person should i be bringing in someone who's a trusted friend to be that type of accountability partner or person to say hey maybe you should look at this more i would say when you're starting out this is about you and i wouldn't bring someone else in at this point in in this intimate spot because i think you can identify these weaknesses if you take the time now if you have a bucket like we just did for the spiritual bucket where you're like i don't really know what i would put here that's when you would consult with a trusted friend and say hey i really want to get better at my spiritual life i look at you as someone who who is doing a good job on that what would you recommend maybe i should work on and that's where that mentorship comes into that we were talking about before we started recording is you could find a mentor for each of these categories through books or podcasts or through one-on-one -on -one conversations or you could be the mentor in some of these categories for other people yeah being able to surround yourself with trusted counsel for this i'm sure is just super valuable especially when thinking ahead because having a mentor to really outline, Hey, your life could really be this, uh, that that could help you dream just a little bit more. And that's why I really enjoy reading autobiographies of successful people that are now household names, because at one point in life, their life, they were not household names and they <laughs> yep. were struggling just like we are. And one, it's reaffirming to know that they struggled too. And two, you can see what steps that they took to get to where they are. And each of these people is, is successful in different areas. And maybe like Dave Ramsey may be my financial mentor to get me out of debt. And I look to him to fill that, but I may not look to him to help me with becoming the most fit and healthy version of myself. Like it just, you, you can't have one mentor for everything. Like you've got to, go and pick the best of each that you can go and replicate what they've done to become successful. Yep. Uh, you don't ask your accountant for advice on your car or your mechanic for advice on your taxes. <laughs> that's, exactly. that's how I think of that. Exactly. But, so for this yearly process, then what actually happens during the year? I'm working on these goals. Is there anything else I'm doing throughout the year to keep up with these? Yeah. So you, at the beginning of the year, you sort of set a, a, a kind of a vision for the year of what you wanted to achieve. But then every three months, you revisit that list and you say, what's the next thing I can do in the next 90 days to move this forward? So you're getting very specific on these 90 day goals. For example, let's say my intellectual, my mind spoke, I want to read books, which I do. I love to read books. Okay. Maybe like this is literally what I set this quarter was I want to read for two hours every single day. Wow. And it was, it used to be, I wanted to read one book a week. And I thought that wasn't specific enough because what ended up happening a lot of times is I would take a month or two and not read very much. And then I'd read a ton. So why not just set a goal that was more specific of just reading every single day. Um, and in my physical bucket, just just recently, my goal was I want to do a morning movement and an afternoon workout every single day. And so in the quarterly family board meeting, that's when you sit down and you say, what am I doing the next 90 days to move this small goal forward 
to where I'll be making progress on this big 20 year vision. You're chopping up the, the ocean, not chopping up. You're not boiling the ocean. You're taking a small pot of water and saying, I'm going to do this for this 90 days and it'll get me one step closer to that, that big vision. And, and you can pretty much, pretty much put up with anything for 90 days. Like if you know that I just have to do this for 90 <laughs> days, you can put up with a lot with in for a 90 day, uh, time period. And then another 90 day time period starts where you've got new micro goals to, to work on. And it, this may sound like a lot of work and this may sound kind of intimidating and it, it is, it takes a little bit of work to get started, but like my family board meeting with my wife this last quarter, we sat on the couch and it was done in like 10 or 15 minutes because we already knew where we were going, what we wanted to do. And we just knew where we sort of had to redirect on this next step. Yeah. So you get used to it and you're in the, you're just in the rhythm. So here's the question though. So let's say I've been doing this for a couple years and I set a goal of James, I, I want to be a NASCAR driver. That's what I want to do. But then finally, at the age of 30, I, I, I figured out, man, well, I've been going go-kart racing and doing all these other things to position myself to be a NASCAR driver that that's not where my career passions lie anymore. How dynamic are you with changing those big goals? Have you changed any specifically as you've been doing this? I, th I think I've just added more because once you start to get some traction and you realize it, you can actually achieve things you never thought you could achieve in a lot shorter time, you just get excited and you're like, what else can I do? Like I am just knocking down dominoes and learning new things and trying new things at a rate of unbelievable right now, because I've learned that it's possible and how flexible we are and how much we can achieve. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with dropping something off if it wasn't truly deep down what you want to be doing. Just drop it off and pick something else. Uh, I think that will happen. I can't think of an, an exact example right now where I did that. But because of this process, now I have a blog with over 100 you know, full-length articles. I have a podcast that now has almost 30, 90 minute interviews. I'm married and nope. uh, I have two businesses and the list goes on and on and on of things that I've done as a result of just taking small bites and taking small steps that almost seem meaningless at the time, but start to add up over a longer period of time. Yeah, and you could have been still in a similar position in life with the career, uh, with the good benefits, if you didn't outline this map for your life. And had that been who I wanted, if I would have asked that question, when my, my mentor, friend, and boss, Tom, retired of, do I want to be doing that in 40 years? And the answer was yes. Great. That was that would have been yep. actually really nice. That would have made things a lot easier. Uh, I would have just stuck with that and then started working on these other buckets. But what I had identified at that point was I spent so much time at that career, 50 to 60 hour weeks, 10 hour days, and on my feet all day and getting calls at home in the middle of the night 
which is crazy. Like we were closed. Um, <laughs> I realized that that was not going to allow me to have success in these other areas because I spent my days off exhausted. I spent my days off laying on the couch, watching Netflix shows for the entire day. I didn't read books. I barely worked out. I didn't have friends. Like I didn't have time for any of that. And so I needed to find a way to get more balance. And for me, that was hitting the ejection button and starting completely over. And I'm grateful I did. Thinking back now, I think I was nuts to have done that. I, I don't know how it had to have been God because I'm a completely risk adverse person. I don't take risks like that. And <laughs> like I'm very, uh, I think everything through. And so I guess I did have the backup plan, but it, it's all because I started to realize how important it was to be a whole person and not be one of those cliches that has it all but then looks down from the mountaintop and doesn't have any friends or family standing by you or can't climb the stairs because I let my body go because I worked myself so hard. Yeah, that is, I, I just love seeing the transformation because your story just lays it out so well. And I think the thing that people really have to walk away with is you did this to put yourself in a place where long-term you'll be happier with what you decided to to do and have a more well-rounded life. And that picture looks different for everybody. So just because you want to be a podcaster, speaker, writer, that doesn't mean that anything else isn't as good. It's just you have to find those things that give you energy, which you pointed out that your job didn't give you energy when you came home just tired and on the couch. Uh, but that also leave you fulfilled with the work that you're doing and the problems that you're solving when you're setting those goals. So really think about these things. And it can change in different periods of your life. So there, the person you are in your teens versus your 20s and 30s and 40s and beyond, it can be a different person based on what you need to achieve in those periods of your life. And um, Christy Wright, in her book, which she talked about balance and breaking down sort of some of our culture's standards with balance, she talked about seasons, which that was my biggest takeaway from her book. And yeah. I consider myself a life balance expert. And I learned a lot in that book and specifically about seasons. And so if there's a period of your life where you can't, and I, I've had this happen, where I just, the physical bucket, I couldn't focus on that in the same way with as much ferocity as I normally would because I have all of these other things happening and it's okay. Like it's okay for a time for that bucket to not be its best. And I just know with this process in 90 days, I'm going to revisit it and it's not going to be forever. I can say, I'm going to put this on hold for the next 90 days. And while I focus on this other area of my life, but then I'm going to revisit it in 90 days and get it back on track. Yeah. And because you have that rating system, you can know that that's something that you have to go back and focus on again. But overall then, so the system starts by setting the goals, the big goals for 20 years out in the seven categories. And then from there, you have a yearly meeting setting goals in those categories as well that kind of chop up that larger goal. And then each quarter, 
you have a, a similar process of deciding what you want to work on for that next 90 days. And that's the basic framework from what I understand of the family board meeting process. Is there anything that we missed? Oh. So there is, and it's something that I'm really starting to work on more now because I've set all these goals and this vision, and I've stretched myself in all these different areas I've got a lot going on and balancing all these different things <laughs> without dropping them yeah. is difficult. So one area I needed to get better at was how do I actually calendar all of these activities and how do I set up my day to win running multiple businesses, being an author, being a podcaster, being a member of my community and having dinner dates with friends, like doing all these things, having date nights with my wife every single month, like all these things that I've started doing as a result of these meetings and I'm still, it's a work in progress, but using my calendar and actually putting these things on the calendar was key. So if I knew I wanted my, something in my family bucket, I wanted to go on a monthly date with my wife, put it on the calendar. If I knew that I wanted to get a book written, put it on a calendar when it's gonna come out, like put things on the calendar, schedule it in blocks. And what I'm starting to work on now is sort of a daily rhythm where the night before, what is tomorrow going to look like on an hourly basis? And um, that way I can keep all of that straight. So that's that's the work in progress is what does the day look like? Because it's very, it's if you follow this process, you're going to have so much going on in your life. You're going to have so many opportunities. You're going to be feeling so good. Everything's going to be giving you joy because you only said yes to things that you enjoy. And you're going to need a way to keep it all straight. So that's what I'm still working on. Time chunking is a life changer, even if I do it subpar, because I also just started on that journey. But the my process is the first two hours of all of my days are exactly the same. It's wake up. Maybe that time changes depending on how tired I am, but it's go to the gym and then come back, shower, plan, and then pray. And that's like, once I've planned for the day, I can focus on the praying. And then after that, I'm ready to just kick off the day. So great point there. And that could be a whole podcast episode in itself. It's just, well, maybe we'll, we'll do that next time once, uh, and maybe you can teach me some things because it's, I, it's always been an opportunity of mine. I like to be sort of a free spirit and do what I want to do for the day when the moment and that doesn't always work when you have a lot of priorities and you have a lot you want to accomplish by choice. Like it's things you said yes to and you love and you want to do. You want to do them because you love them and they're helping you with your big goals. And so you got to find a way to get them done. Thanks so much for joining today, James. Two quick things before we sign off here. I know you're a big reader. And I'll just be honest with everyone, because you should be bragging about this. You have written a book, 52 books you must read to lead in business, which recommends a lot of other books. What are your top three recommendations for reads? There is so many books I enjoy reading. And that, that thing you just mentioned, the 52 books to lead at home and in business is probably already outdated because there's like some of the books I've mentioned to you today, Christy Wright's book, Phil Vischer's book, RG Tourneau's book, they're not on there. Like I just read those in the last 90 days. <laughs> um, but based on what we've talked about today, I would recommend two books by my 
good friend James Altucher, which is Choose Yourself and Skip the Line. Those are just books that kind of take what we talked about today and continues to um, to flesh it out a little bit further. And then um, on a financial book, uh, I know that you're you're a personal finance uh, aficionado, so I would recommend The Millionaire Next Door. Absolutely loved that book. Have you read that one? I have not. My book pile has gotten so big in the last couple months, and I'm plucking away at it. But it, I have a feeling that's going to be on the on the pile now. <laughs> Million, Millionaire Next Door was great. The Richest Man in Babylon was great, and that's even shorter. Um, and I could sort of I could make a recommendation in each of the seven spokes because that's sort of how I've learned to improve each of them is by reading books that cover all of them. <laughs> that would be an interesting curriculum. You, I, if you do that in a blog post, I that would be really fun to share with everybody. But yeah, I'll work on that. I'll work on that for sure because I think that the fifty-two books needs an update, and I think it could go really well into the family board meeting framework with with a book for each category. So yeah. I'll work on that. Yeah. And people can have access to your book, even though you say it's outdated. I, I still think it's valuable to, the, uh, by signing up for your newsletter, Wise Men Wednesday on your mm -hmm. website. And where's where's the best place to just get connected with you? Check out your podcast. Uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram most often and Twitter at James Quandall. And that's Q-U-A-N-D-A-H-L. And my podcast is The James Quandall Show. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple. Or you could just go to my website, quandall.com, and find it right there. But I would love if anyone's listening to this and they have questions about this framework or this process or they need suggestions on resources to improve in one of these categories or you just want to tell me about what's going on in your life or, or whatever or just say, hey, this sounds great look me up on Twitter or Instagram or email, wherever. I'd love to help you. And this is what I, now that I figured this out, I love to help other people uh, also um, achieve their dreams and, and, and realize their full potential. Thank you so much, James. We will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, David. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of The James Quandall Show. The show notes for this episode and other goodies can be found at quandall.com. Are you enjoying the show? If you are, please subscribe and leave a review. I may end up reading your review live on the next episode. Subscribing, leaving a review, and telling your friends about the show is the best way to support me and help the show grow. See you next time.